Hey, y'all. Thanks for joining us for another episode of 911 Delta, Tethered for Life. This podcast may not be suitable to all listeners due to language and subject matters. Please listen with care. Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode of 911 Delta, Tethered for Life. I'm your host, Anna. Hey, Casey. And tonight we have another special guest, another firefighter, Brandon. How y'all doing? Good. He's going to talk about discussing the transition from working as a dispatcher to now being a career firefighter in the field. And last week, we had another firefighter who was my brother. I enjoy talking to him. Yeah? Yeah, he sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, he's fun, all right. (laughs) Yeah. And we talked about how not to be useless during winter and be stuck out in the snow or calling 911 from your house when your power's out don't do that call the electric company Um, that was our fun with winter tips how was your week i don't know kiddos better yes but then it kind of cycled back around to me and i just kind of feel yeah so i don't know well, that's not good. Yeah, but it's a I had a pretty week. good week too. Yeah, yeah. I'm in vacation fun. mode already. Oh, that's right. You go to you go on vacation Sunday, right? Yes. And I'm we excited. go to Boston on Thursday, so. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. For the yeah. game. Right. So, Brandon, what about you? Are you on a? Are you? What kind of schedule do you guys work? Um, so I'm on four day right now. We okay. do the the pretty normal twenty four on, twenty four off, twenty four on, twenty four off, twenty four on, four days off. Right. Whew. It beats twelves. It beats twelves. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I think that's the best. Um, I really think that's the best schedule. I mean, my husband's worked a lot of them, and. That schedule is so easy to manipulate and do what you want to do and get time off. That's what I think. I don't know. I don't know what you firefighters think. I know my brother's the same way. He's like Matt. He's always like, you know, working the system and um, getting his time off and doing all that. So yeah, it works out really well. Yeah. I feel like it's the easiest schedule to do that with. So tell us about yourself, Brandon. Um, well, uh, I've been a firefighter for going on 15 years, um, between career and volunteer. Um, I started in a call, started my dispatch career in a call center for a private medical transport company, got promoted up into dispatch and then eventually made it up to their communications director for the whole state of Virginia, um, before switching over into 911. Um, I started in a small center, was there for three years, banished to night shift, <laughs> was their uh, <laughs> was their primary fire rescue dispatcher and primary fire rescue trainer um, before leaving there and going to a bigger center. Um, did some time on day shift and night shift, and I prefer night shift. Um, then, you know, just uh, with my kids being born and everything, needed to change the schedule up and decided to go back out in the field as a firefighter, and now I'm firefighter medic, so... Awesome. Well, we are glad that you're with us. 
I'm happy to be here. I love the podcast. I think uh, y'all are doing good work on getting the knowledge out there and and uh, you know informing the informing the people. <laughs> well, we're trying <laughs> one week at a time. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. One one week at a time. You know, it takes a while. Yeah. Um. So regardless, we're enjoying it. So exactly, <laughs> exactly. We're having fun doing it, but. <laughs> Uh, so in sticking with that theme, uh, we were going to talk further, talk about call processing this week and how we, uh, talked last week about how things get priorities and how that's a little bit different on fire and law enforcement side. But I think a lot of people wonder why, why we do things a certain way, like with fire and EMS, like why do some calls get a fire engine and an ambulance, some calls get four fire trucks, you know, (laughs) like instead of just one. So um, where I currently work, we very rarely have BLS uh, transport units. So usually there's always a medic, Um, but it's also kind of weird because we only have one 24 seven staffed engine. Um, The other two stations are cross staffed, the engine and the medic. Um, so usually your only calls that you're going to get, you know, get an engine on is anything that's going to be life safety, you know, auto accidents, fires, anything like that, or something where you're going to need a lot of hands like CPRs, um, you know, uh, technical rescues, anything like that. We also have an EMS supervisor, um, that can upgrade any unit if they're not, you know, at the paramedic level, um, that can jump on and, and provide those skills if needed. And they're usually used as like the uh, the first response or the added unit instead of adding engines for for the higher level of care. The only other time you'll see an engine is like if the first two medic units out and there's a call in there first due, the engine will run it so that there's somebody on scene providing care before the medic unit gets there from another due. Yeah, it's I always find it interesting because you know I started dispatching in a smaller jurisdiction and um, that was kind of how how they do it's kind of still how they still do it and um you know as the jurisdictions get bigger it's like they want to put more pieces on the road when i feel like sometimes you don't need to so i always find that interesting you know it's like in a smaller place we can go ahead and handle this with a medic unit and maybe an ems supervisor or you know somebody in a buggy doesn't have to be a supervisor where i grew up um, it was all volunteer, but it was a huge rescue squad. And, um, you know, we very rarely had a medic, uh, was, you know, running BLS all the time. So it's interesting to me how different places mm-hmm. do it. And I think people, people get confused sometimes, like you said, um, if they, you know, if your medic unit's out and you get, send the engine People are like, why are you sending me a fire truck? I need an ambulance. Calm down. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and two, in in a lot of the the larger jurisdictions, the engines will have a medic on them. Not all the time, but a lot of times they do have a an, a medic on the engine. So, you know, not the case always in smaller jurisdictions, but at least they are EMTs or BLS trained providers so that they can. I think at least give people peace of mind. Although when people see the fire truck, they don't always feel that way. They're like, what? 
my house wasn't on fire. Yeah. They definitely yeah, don't mainly, get that. Mainly coming for, like I said, a higher level of care or if extra hands are needed, just depending on the call type. Or, you know, first you medicate it's out and somebody else is coming and it's going to be a minute. So get somebody there to, to start providing care. Now, especially where you are now, and because I'm familiar with the area, obviously, because I live in the area, like, do you guys run um, lights and sirens to every call since you're further away from the hospital? Yeah, it, it's funny between, you know, the last jurisdiction that I dispatched for and, and where I'm currently in the field, it's kind of like I went a little bit back in time. They uh, expect us to respond lights and sirens to everything, um, even calls that, you know, don't necessarily need that kind of response and whoever's in charge of the unit, whether it's the officer ride the seat of the engine or the AIC on the medic unit um, can choose to, to downgrade and go in route. Um, it kind of leaves it up to us where I know with the, the other jurisdiction there that the, uh, the CAD kind of provides that designation. Yeah. Um, so for us, it's just up to whoever's on the unit, whether we respond or not. And you have to be able, obviously use your best judgment. Right. Um, be able to justify why you did one or the other and who gets uh do you guys have like uh what's the right question a protocol for because i know it gets tricky when you say like um if the medic unit's out and you want somebody to get there to provide care is that a dispatcher discretion or is there a sop or you know something so, in writing that says what they're supposed to do so uh, they have policy and dispatch to um, if the first two medic unit is out to add a first responder from that company. Um, so even if we're cross staffing at you know, my station, our minimum is three people. So it's two on the medic unit and there's one person left behind um, and they will first respond in a buggy to anything in the first two if we're out. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. What do you think that you took from dispatch to the field? Sorry. Definitely, uh, definitely um, an appreciation for, you know, what goes on behind the scenes and what goes on upstairs. People, you know, especially people in the field who've never, you know, been inside the center or interacted that much with dispatch other than, you know, throughout the, the performance of their duties. Um, they don't know how hard that job is. Um, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. So definitely an appreciation for, for everything that does go on up there. Um, CAD knowledge, you know, being able to work through our MDTs, get information on past calls. If we've been to this house before, you know, what to expect, looking for, for CAD flags or anything like that. So try and keep everybody safe. Um, you know, I kind of took the knowledge of, Hey, you know, I know where this tab is. I, I can get this information before it's provided or cause I know they're busy or whatever. Um, and you know, multitasking, uh, dispatching built up my multitasking <laughs> skills so that, you know, I'm able to do so many different things at once in, you know, in the back of medicating or on a fire engine, whatever, whatever the job is at hand, I, I can always be looking at what I'm supposed to do doing next or, or uh, performing multiple jobs at once in a way that I don't think I could before I did time in dispatch. Ugh, that 
definitely if you cannot multitask, dispatching is not for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's almost like ADD's got to be a prerequisite to. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, in, when you first get started, it is overwhelming, obviously, but like we had said in a previous um, episode, we have five CAD screens. So that's five computer screens. Sorry. Um, the phone, the radio. I mean, it's just a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. What do you think? What kind of crazy questions do the firefighters and the EMTs come up with for dispatch? You know, like when they're like, oh, those mother truckers, what? <laughs> most of the questions that seem to come up is it it all comes back to kind of training you know what kind of training are they receiving for you know specifically for fire rescue radio um you know where, where do they go to learn the terminology for like emergency medical dispatch you know where are they going to learn anatomy or you know, the terms that we use. Um, and then for fire dispatching, you know, where are they going for training to run these mock fires? Are they operating, you know, with the firemen? Are they going to our training burns or anything like that? It all kind of boils down to training. Um, Cause you can tell the ones that, that have been doing this a while, um, the confidence, the cadence that they have over the radio. And then you can tell the new ones apart where something big comes out and, and they get rather, you know, jumping on the radio or fast or high pitched. Um, so that's that's what it always comes down to. It seems like is what kind of training they're receiving and and where did they learn that? Where did they learn this stuff like that? Or someone like me who is a old person from dispatch, but didn't know much about fire radio. <laughs> God, I used to stress so fucking much on radios. God. Well. <clears throat> But I knew if I was sitting with Brandon, Anna, or Mike, I would I was good to go. (laughs) It's hard. It's a hard. um, If you're not used to the lingo, it can be hard um, to know it. I mean, I didn't when I started dispatching. um, I started an agency where we just uh, dispatched fire rescue, and uh, I. I had done some volunteer EMS, but I had not spent, you know, a lot of time with fire. I mean, uh, we did like extrications with the fire department, uh, but they were separate because the fire department was career where I grew up and uh, EMS was volunteer. So it was, I didn't have a whole lot of fire knowledge and I was lucky in that the person who trained me was very good and, and, taught me a lot of things. Plus I also worked with, with a guy who was a firefighter as well. And then I married a firefighter and then, you know, it's from there on, it's, it's kind of like things that my family, you know, like we've been using military time and the phonetic alphabet since I was a kid, like my parents used to spell words like that when we were little. So we didn't know what they were saying. So we learned really quick So all that to me is like normal. And so now it's like fire talk is normal too. And you have to realize that other people don't know what you're saying. (laughs) Like Casey, they'll be like, what? And I, and I know training people. Um, it was really, really hard. I will never forget 
one one of one of my besties after she i trained her and i don't think she was a supervisor at this point but she was a very competent dispatcher she sends me a text message one night it's like i don't know 10 11 o'clock at night what's an fdc <laughs> uh, who, what what <laughs> oh gosh but it's it's that lingo and i think i'm really pro that dispatch should train with fire rescue i think it's also true for law enforcement although i i don't really want to do that because i don't really want to be out there dealing with people like that (laughs) but i do think it's beneficial as a dispatcher to have that experience and i think the same is true for fire rescue but it just doesn't happen like i know in some jurisdictions they require you to do a ride-along you're not going to learn all the fire lingo Mm-mm. in a day, you know? Yeah, one of one of the best things you can do, you know, to to become a really good fire dispatcher is, you know, build a relationship with those guys in the field, um, you know, communicate with them, not just on the radio, but, you know, whether, you know, calling each other after after calls you know get some closure on calls because i know that's a that was a big thing for dispatches you're there for the initial but you don't always know the outcome um you know a lot of the fire guys would be very willing to share what we can um you know on how things went but building that relationship and then training you know training with the fire guys whether it's burns or you know um mock calls anything like that training with them and learning the rhythm, um, because even the big calls like house fires, there's a rhythm that it goes through, um, you know, the the build up to actual extinguishment to overhaul. And if you can find that rhythm and be able to anticipate it because you've been working with them or you've trained with them through those scenarios, then you'll be able to be on the ball and know what they're going to ask for next. Um, it That anticipation removes a lot of the stress and a lot of the time delay from those kind of calls. And you're right. It's, it's, you know, the training between communications and fire, there seems to be, you know, some kind of gap there. And uh, I feel like if those two entities could learn to work, work together, um, things can get a lot easier. Yeah, I agree. I think that was half of my problem was I never really trained that well. Right. And like when, um, and this was true, it's not so true now that where we worked has grown. Um, and there's all, it's all, you know, it's all career and, and there's just a few volunteers left, but where I started and when that jurisdiction back in the day, when we still had a lot of volunteers, it was, and they were doing things like cross-staffing. It was important. I always thought it was important anyway for the dispatchers to know like what capabilities different pieces of equipment have. Um, And for instance, when you're going to single pull a station, what are you going to single pull? Like, you know, if I would back in the day, um, I might have four stations that were doing a single pull and to... And if a fire came out in one of them, that could make three of them be 
on the run card for that, right? So you have to know, like, okay, well, who's going to take, you know, the first three are probably going to take the engines. So you need to get three more ambulances from somewhere else because you're not going to have any. And, you know, all of that was really, I felt like that was hard to train and people didn't know and people didn't know, you know, how they were going to think in that situation. Whereas now with the computer and everything being more automated, yeah, people aren't necessarily getting that type of training. And then the system shits out and then people are like, well, what do I do now? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. in, in, in my jurisdiction with the few stations that we have, you know, a house fire assignment is for us, it's three engines, two tankers, two medics, a battalion and a supervisor. Well, you know, two of those stations are cross-staffed. Right. <laughs> um, you're going to get, you're going to get one engine. You know, you're going to get one engine but then who's bringing tankers who's bringing the medics. So it's, it's, you know, being able to train with your guys and know where in the County that that's going to be and being able to anticipate who's going to pull what you're already building your next, you know, building your next assignment. So when you, when you retone, you know, who you're calling for what. Um, and without that communication and training, it's, it's always a surprise. You never know what you're going to get when you hit the tones. This gives me such fucking anxiety just talking about this. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh my gosh. I'm just like, oh God, I'm waiting for the phone to ring. Like, please don't be a fire coat. Please don't be a fire coat. Oh man. I could talk about it. I could Brandon and I could probably talk about this all night, but I know I, y'all sound so great. Uh and you know, one of the funniest things. So uh my husband does some training usually with some departments down South um, in North Carolina. And I was like, Oh, you know, this is, I can go. It's kind of like a little vacay. Right. And I'll, you know, have a couple days at the beach, even though they always do in the winter, it's cold as hell, but it's fine. Right. It's a, it's a few days away from home and everything. And so the first time I went down there and one of the, the chiefs and I are friends. So I kind of rolled up to see what was happening and um, I think it was the last day. So we probably had to check out of our little bungalow anyway. And uh, so I was like, oh, I'll go over there and see what's happening. And she's on the radio, like doing radio traffic. And she sees me and she's like, hey, you want to play dispatcher? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, well, it was fun. We did have fun, but it was it was a different experience because number one, and I know this, like cognitively, I know this, but when you're so used to being able to press the foot pedal and talk as opposed to using a portable, <laughs> um, that was, that was number one. And then challenge number two was that they were, it's a little bit different, you know, cause they're, they're from North Carolina. It's more volunteers, um, so it was, you know, it was a little, so it took us probably, I don't know, 10 minutes or so to like get into that rhythm of, and they were putting, you know, groups through a live burn. So it was like, probably by the time we got to the third group, I was like, okay, now I got it. Now I can <laughs> push the button, talk <laughs> and like do the whole thing. But it was funny. And I thought, you know, this is like this is good though. Like it's good to do this and keep, keep growing. 
even though sometimes we we get comfortable doing what we're doing, Casey. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that patrol radio any day. Sorry, fire guys. Oh, no. Sorry. Nope. Uh, you keep law enforcement, <laughs> keep it to yourself. I know. I know. And I, I you know, I feel like, like I say that, like, oh, we should keep growing, but I don't want to do that. But the, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> so, Brandon, do you think dispatching as opposed to now working out in the field hold the same level of stress or is it different, you think? It It's a whole lot different. Um, I feel like when I was in dispatch, you know, especially on day shift, night shift, not so much, but day shift was you know, from the time I, you know, took turnover and sat down in the chair, it was like stress for 12 hours. <laughs> um, just because yeah. it, there's always something happening, you know, always stuff to figure out. Um, night shift was a little more low key than that, but like now, you know, it, we're at the station training, you know, going through our day and everything and, and you run a call and obviously that, that call can be a high stress event, but it's not constant. Um, so it, it doesn't last the same, doesn't, it doesn't weigh on you the same amount of time, um, that being in dispatch did, at least for me. Um, so I would say it's a, a little, a little less stressful in my opinion. I was not expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny like Brandon said, when when you're sitting in the chair, you're kind of stuck there. And we talked about this, uh, I think, when we were talking with M. But, like, even though they say, oh, you know, get up when you need to or take a break or, you know, we all know that's bullshit. Yeah. In the stations, and my husband's been in a lot of them, that, you know, like, I remember we laughed about one of them you know they had this set like it was personal development time you know and like you had two hours to do whatever the hell you wanted to do basically now obviously if a call came out you had to go to it but that was like two hours out of the day where you know you did whatever like if somebody was taking a class you know getting their degree or whatever they could they could do that. Uh, you could go work out. You Whatever you wanted to do, it was your time. For two hours out of your workday. Now I get that you're working 24 hours. But still, should they keep you in dispatch for 24 hours and not feel bad about not giving you no pee break? <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, so, I mean, it, we're, it's, it's not like, you know, not like we're just, you know, hanging out on the sofa for 24 hours. Like there's, there's always right. stuff going on, but, but the difference I think is like, we get dispatched to a call in the field and on the medical side, fire side is, is more of a, you know, you're going to get dispatched to something, but there's always going to be something either out of the ordinary or something that can't really be described, you know, um, via the radio, but, but like you get a medical call, you know, what you're going to, you know, what you're going for, you have your set of protocols that you're going to have to follow to treat this patient. And your focus is on that one patient, you know, or, or that one emergency and dispatch, you know, especially with the larger jurisdiction, you're dealing with all of them and trying to keep track of those units and what their needs are and trying to make sure that your CAD notes are right. Um, 
all the while the phone's still ringing and people are still calling in emergencies that you're trying to get dispatched. So I feel like the fire rescue being in the field, it's more, the stress is more focused in, in that moment with that one call or dispatch. It's, it's just constant because you're being flooded, you know? That's a good way to put that. Yeah. So any advice to folks that are thinking about becoming a dispatcher? Be able to type, be able to multitask, <laughs> um, be thick skinned. Um, a lot of these people that call in, you know, you're, you're a voice on the other end of the phone. They can't see you. There's no consequences for the way that they speak to you. Um, you know, people get nasty and you can't take it to heart. You know, if, if somebody's in a high emotional situation, if they're having an emergency or even if they're mad about something, you know, don't take it to heart, do your best you can to, to calm them down and move on. Never stop learning. You know, it's the public safety environment. There's always something to learn, always a new skill to pick up. Um, you know, they, they always joke that the moment you say, oh, I've, I've learned enough is probably the moment you should step away. Um, because this job is so fluid and changes every day. Yep. That's really good advice. Yeah. Or just don't do it. I'm <laughs> 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 just kidding. I'm just oh, kidding. Somebody's got to. Yes. <laughs> so we kind of covered it a little bit, but how do you, how do you maintain your sanity and then what do you what do you think is different between how you do that now as compared to how you did it when you worked in dispatch? Like what can you give any dispatcher people advice? Uh work life balance is the biggest part of it. Um and it's something I kind of lacked when I was in dispatch and one of the reasons that I ended up leaving was you know being I was on night shift you know, I did a little short stint on day shift, but night shift essentially for, for, you know, five years. Um, and you know, my, my son was born when I switched jurisdictions and, you know, when he's awake, you know, uh, when he was awake and my wife was awake, I was sleeping cause I had to work that night. Um, you know, and then my daughter was born and it, it was more of the same, um, being it, being able to, when you leave work, leave it at work and come home and have that completely separate is incredibly important. Um, and it's, it's not something that you can just do. It's a skill that you, you have to learn. Um, and it's really hard to do it first, but as, you know, as for now with us working 24 hour shifts and I come home and I have the full day, I'm able to maintain that balance so much better, um, than I could in dispatch and, with the wonky schedules that the dispatch had us on, um, you know, it was hard to, hard to communicate to loved ones, whether, you know, you're going to work, you're coming from work when you do work, you know, <laughs> Hey, I've got overtime this day. Hey, I'm on call this day. You know, it, it was always pretty tough. Again, I don't miss those days. <laughs> Not at all. So what are some, things that folks should not call um 9114 for the fire ems side <laughs> uh y'all went over <laughs> a couple of them a couple of them last week if i uh, recall correctly <laughs> but uh you know the your power being out um please don't call 911 for your power being out we didn't know any more than you do 
<laughs> we do the same thing you could do and call the pirate company. Um, you know, cats and trees. <laughs> Ooh, the, like yeah. Common misconception that we'll come <laughs> get a cat out of a tree. Yep. Probably not. <laughs> um, and then special events, uh, especially this time of year, because I know a lot of jurisdictions do, you know, like Santa Claus or fire truck or, there's parades through a lot of jurisdictions. Um, please don't call 911 and ask information on these special events. Um, if you absolutely have to call, look up a non-emergency number. Or, you know, if it's involving the fire department, call the firehouse. Um, the dispatchers are busy dealing with emergencies. And if one of those events is going on, probably coordinating with, you know, other people on the ground working with those. But call the firehouse directly. Or, you know, look on social media. Don't call 911 for that. Yes. And do not be ungrateful that this is happening and they don't come down your damn street. Yeah. Like, <laughs> shut the hell up. Like, you're lucky that they're even willing to do that anyways. Like, that shit. I've seen that on Facebook and that shit pissed me off. <laughs> yeah, I used to used to coordinate the you know, the Santa on a fire truck there for a few years and, and unreal you know, amount, of, amount of hate mail and comments and everything. Oh, you didn't come down my street. Well, it's like, well, you live at the end of a cul-de-sac. So well, yeah, people are just, mm. yeah. And you know, with this, this day and age, a lot of the places post their schedule or some of them mm-hmm. even have apps. Like you can track Santa. I mean, for God's sake, put your kids in the car. Don't complain about Santa. God, that makes me angry too. I'm like, you know. Yeah. One thing that that always has kind of stuck with me since I left dispatch was the types of callers that you get. You get the callers that are hysterical and explaining a situation you know, on the fire side. Law enforcement's uh, obviously different for taking calls, but on the fire side, you get these people who call in like about auto accidents and they will describe the end of the world to you and fire rescue gets on scene. It's a fender bender with no injuries. But I've always found with, you know, with the auto accidents or injury calls, the people who are very calm in that moment, that's when you need to worry. Those are going to be your big calls. Um, You know, the people who just monotone, tell you what's going on, answer all of your questions. Those are the ones that's like, you need to send the world to, you know? (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Brandon. Those are the people that scare you. You're like, whoa. (laughs) <laughs> whoa <laughs> yep if if they answer that first question like they just give their address right away i'm like whoa <laughs> something's not good here because yeah. <laughs> and uh is this true in where you are now that you will get a million calls for that fender bender but you only get one for the vehicle up in a tree and six people hanging out of it. Right. Yeah. No, you're, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't under, I we'll guess get, people are like, oh, somebody already called for sure. Right. But there's a vehicle. Yeah. We'll get, <laughs> we'll get a hundred <laughs> yeah. calls for a simple fender bender at an intersection. But then, you know, we've had it where a deputy will roll up on that, that bad auto accident and call it in, but nobody else did, you know? <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, and yeah. Meanwhile, there's traffic going by that. I don't, I don't understand that either. It's interesting, interesting phenomenon with people. And I think before we, before we move on case, I just thought about this. We talked about um, earlier 
when we were talking about how they run calls and stuff, we talked about a couple different terms or we, we mentioned them and we should probably like give people an idea of what we were talking about because a lot of people don't know. Well, I think you and Brandon should definitely do that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I was thinking about when I was, I was thinking, I'm like, man, Brandon said something about the AIC on the ambulance. So who is that person? Uh, So the AIC, the attendant in charge, and it's usually the um, highest level of care person on the unit. Um, they are the ones in charge of that unit. They make the decisions on, you know, like we were talking about responding in and out, um, going lights and sirens or not. They're the ones that are going to be making those decisions and talking on the radio. So it's like your, your officer in charge for an engine, um, attendant in charge for a medic unit. Right. And the officer on the engine is usually not driving. Right. <laughs> And so they ride, they ride a uh, front right seat. Um, they ride shotgun. <laughs> yep. Uh, they get, uh, you know, all the, they have the MDT, they've got all the map books They're They're getting the information from dispatch The drivers just concentrate on driving, um, getting everybody to the scene as safely as they can and navigating some of these roadways where traffic decides not to move and whatnot. So <laughs> yeah. the officer is the one who pushes that horn pedal, right? Um, it, that can vary. There's pedals on both sides, but burp, burp. Yeah, it, it, yeah, between between the officer and the driver, they discuss who makes noise. And usually, yeah, it's the officer that's doing that. Uh, How about that little swirly thing on the front of the fire truck? The federal queue. Yeah, that's that's sure. usually the officer. The, <laughs> that's usually the officer. It's a foot pedal. Um, the driver's probably using a pull cord for the air horn. You know, um, coordinate with one another. But yeah, both seats, they make a bunch of noise. (laughs) The swirly thing. (laughs) See, we should really have Casey asking the questions because (laughs) the swirly thing is perfect. Oh my God. (laughs) The swirly thing. Always think of me now when you see that. (laughs) Yeah. Matt used to, um, when he was in this smaller Mm -hmm. jurisdiction where they primarily staffed ambulances, he uh, rode with this, and they would usually have two two medics on a crew. And uh, he rode with this kind of big guy. And um, for whatever reason, where the foot pedal was, he had this habit of stepping on it as he was getting out of the ambulance. <laughs> and Matt. <laughs> Matt swears. I mean, he's like deaf anyway, you know, from the sirens all these years, but he swears that that's one reason because he's like, you don't know how many times I would get out and I'd be right at the front of the ambulance and he would step on that damn pedal and it would blare in my ear. And he's like, I cussed him so many times. Oh my gosh. And the funniest thing about it is like, just me here like because he's one of those people that i'm sure he jumped you know like it scared the shit out of him and he jumped and so like can you imagine like i just imagine him like getting out trying to be mr professional and then hear this freaking horn and that's exactly why i'm laughing so <laughs> you can picture this right because now that can... i work with him it's like right. 
you can picture this like oh my gosh yeah maybe i should take an air horn into work and be like burr, burr. oh you should you just should. to see the reaction <laughs> oh my god that would be great yeah and then we we also talked about um cross staffing and or single pulling a station they can uh, some some jurisdictions use them interchangeably but to me cross staffing is when you've got two fire trucks um and you decide which one you want to take for what what do you think brandon right so um you know like my station we have a tanker an engine and a medic unit um and my crew we you know we have the personnel to be able to respond in the engine and the medic unit um but say somebody's off or something and and you know we drop to our minimum then all three units are up for grabs um we're primarily on the medic unit, but depending on what the call type is and who's due it's in, a decision has to be made by the officer on which piece we're going to get in and go in. Um, right. So that's that's cross staffing is, you know, you're you have a crew there, but they're on all three units. Just depending on what needs to go. Right. And that's where the term single pull comes from, because like you're you're only pulling one piece. Right. Right. Um, now, some places uh, they would do a, they might, two people might take the medic unit and one person might take the tanker if your tanker can operate that way. Um, but all these things are really jurisdictionally dependent. So it's important for people to just understand that there's a wide range of how public safety does things that it's not it's not the same everywhere right and it's right. important to you know um be informed on how your how your public safety agency wherever you reside does things um you know then if you know you see an, a fire truck pull up with an ambulance you may know why and a lot of the guys will answer those questions too if you ask them hey you know i see you have this many people here what would you take? You know, um, it's, it's important to be informed on that certain thing. And then also, you know, if, if you're residing in jurisdiction where they do have cross staffing, kind of like my, my current station is, um, you know, maybe talking to your elected officials and getting more personnel, um, single pulling, you know, or pulling an engine is a driver, is a driver only to a call is, incredibly dangerous <laughs> right. um just just going by yourself and and you know trying to pull a hose line and pump the truck at the same time not to mention you know maneuvering that big piece of apparatus to get there with only one set of eyes is very dangerous um so you know if if you find that you reside in a jurisdiction like that and want to get involved you know talk to your elected officials about getting more personnel in these trucks one thing I want to bring up too is people, if you're calling 911 and you tell that dispatcher, don't come with the sirens or sirens, <laughs> then bitch, get off my phone. You don't have an emergency. Get in uh, your yes. car and go then. Like the requesting yeah. a silent run. Yeah. Silent run. Yeah. <laughs> and that just depends on the jurisdiction. I mean, we can let them know that you're requesting that, but that doesn't mean that's not going to happen or that that will uh, happen uh, yeah i will say that 
you know, depending on time of day and where it is. It, right, yeah. If you ask, it's most likely not going to happen. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And people don't realize, I mean, you do have protocols for, you know, for instance, in the middle of the night running through a neighborhood. Right. Frowned upon. <laughs> right. You know, even if you are going to a priority level call, you still don't need to blare up the whole neighborhood. Most agencies have that much common sense right. now, but people feel they need to tell you, you know, Oh, I don't want to wake up the neighbors. Well then don't freaking call. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, they're, they're traffic warning devices. So if there's, if there's no traffic in, in a neighborhood, you know, there ought not to be too much. There's no sense in that. And I can tell you my my husband's had, I think, twice he's had once an engine and once an ambulance that had the diamond plating ripped off the sides of them in a neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. Because people are just, they don't, it's like they see the red lights and they got to go to the red light. mm -hmm. And they can't, instead of go away, they got to go to it. (laughs) <laughs> it's definitely they there's definitely been increases in instances of near misses or you know apparatus being struck um not even neighborhood you know in interstate where you can see for oh, miles okay. and they're still getting hit um yeah. it's it's definitely something to pay attention to with the the move over slow down laws um, yes move over people jesus <laughs> yes you know years ago i was this is when I was working full-time nights, we had like a chain reaction. I think it was when they were, uh, I don't know if they were repaving 95 or what they were doing construction. And um, it was on the Southern end and they, it was a chain reaction accident. Well, it, it wasn't, none of them were like major, right? I think maybe some, one person got transported to the hospital, whatever. Everybody clears up, but VDOT had been out there. So the Department of Transportation truck had been out there. They call them the big crash truck. You know, it's got the thing in the back with the lights and the whatever. So if you run into it, you just run into that. You don't do any damage to anything else. The guy is sitting on the side of the road. Like the tow truck has just picked up the last vehicle. He calls and says, some lady just ran like full speed into the back. That was the worst accident of the night because she was trapped. Like it was it, because she had run like literally full speed into the back of this crash truck. <laughs> what? With the <laughs> yellow lights going and the, what? Come yep. on. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand what you're doing. You know, we, uh, I mean, just was it last week, maybe two weeks ago. We were we were dispatched to an auto action just up from the station and responded up there and um you know we had I think there was eight patients on the first one so we were there for a minute waiting to get people transported oh, out and everything um so we're clear from that one and not three quarters of a mile down the road we get another um so those major thoroughfares you know accidents breed accidents 
Oh, you yeah. increase the traffic, you increase the congestion, and just people lose their minds for some reason. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Anything else you want to uh, say, Brandon, while we have you on? You know, kind of going on that advice thing, um, things that, that I've noticed being now in the field and then with some experience in dispatch, the the big things to remember, you know, don't be a button pusher. Um, that dispatch intuition, good decision-making, it can't be automated. It can't be replaced. You know, that, that sense that you have being with all the information that you have, utilize it. Don't let a computer tell you what's right and wrong. Um, and then for communicating with your guys in the field, it's the little things that make the biggest difference. You know, if they're responding to a house fire in a jurisdiction, you have a map just like they have a map call that hydrant, you know, Hey, there's a hydrant across the street from this house. You just save that officer. Who's trying to get dressed, get his crew together, figure out their tactics. You just took one thing off his plate. You know, that makes all the difference in the world. Um, those little things that you can do to help, um, help immensely. Um, and then build that relationship between fire rescue and dispatch. Um, whether it's with the top level of the jurisdiction scheduling training between them or, you know, whether you stop by the firehouse, introduce yourself. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm a dispatcher. I work this shift. I'm going to be talking to y'all a lot. Just wanted to come down and meet y'all, you know, um, build that relationship, that working relationship between you two. And uh, you'll start to be able to notice, you know, the subtle things in your voice or their voice of what's going on. And then you'll be able to anticipate their needs while they're on calls. And again, that's one of those little things that, that really helps. Well, shout out to everybody who's listening and keep listening, keep liking, sharing, following. Uh, we got our little end of the year thing from Spotify. And apparently most of you are sharing us through text message, which is awesome. But you can share us on social media too. We don't mind. It's okay. Not at all. Yeah. And um, yeah, remember to subscribe because that helps us. And if you can leave a review, that helps too because it helps other people, especially on Apple, apparently. Um, if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, it helps when people are searching to find it. Awesome. Well, Brandon, we appreciate you being with us. Can I, can I do a, a shout out? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so I just want to give a shout out to Christy, um, one of the best dispatchers that I've ever had the pleasure of training she's still one of my best friends um and achieving great things where she's at now and then uh amber also one of my favorite dispatchers that i've ever worked with um achieving great things with her new jurisdiction as well yeah Absolutely. and are those Thanks ladies listening me. they need to listen yeah i i will reach out to them i'm pretty sure they already are because we've talked about your podcast so okay okay awesome. <laughs> so but Thank you all for having me. I appreciate the yeah. opportunity. Thanks for coming on. And then Casey, what are we going to talk about next week? Next week, we will be talking about the stressors. We'll be getting more in depth with that of dispatching and how we cope. Because Casey's going to be on a cruise, actually. So that's I a am. Show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll be uh, in the Bahamas. Woo. See you later. Until next right. time, guys. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye.